Good morning, all. So I may not need to tell you, but Christmas is in one week, just one week from today. Uh, all the Advent candles are lit, a full circle, with the Christ candle in the center, which we wait to light uh, until Christmas Eve. So once again, we have arrived at the fullness of time, the fullness of our Advent vigil of hopeful, expectant waiting. Now, speaking of time, this Advent, we've been talking a little bit about time, how, how we live in the time between, the time between Christ's first coming, uh, born in a stable in Bethlehem, and his second coming in glory, the already and the not yet. And it occurred to me that Christmas is a sort of time machine. It takes us backwards and forwards to our earliest childhood memories, all the way to the present. Every Christmas time we encounter so much that is the same, so much that is constant and familiar. We put the same ornaments and lights on our trees. We, we prepare and enjoy uh, very familiar food, although uh, uh, the preparation is, of course, not necessarily evenly distributed, uh, though hopefully the enjoyment is at the very least. We hear the same songs. We watch the same movies. We set out the same stockings, put on the same sweaters, the same ties, the same socks. We gather with familiar people in familiar places. And these things take us back in time. However briefly, they might even take us out of time altogether, beyond the horizon of time, into a sort of timelessness or even an experience of eternity. The evergreen Christmas tree, changeless throughout the seasons, is a sign that speaks to us of this eternity, of this timelessness, however quietly, however subtly. And the season of Advent has a similarly mysterious relationship to time. On the first Sunday of Advent, we, we encounter Jesus uh, toward the end of his earthly life. And he is speaking about the end of time, looking beyond that horizon of time and into eternity. On the second and third Sundays, we meet John the Baptist. We go back a little bit. We meet John, this prophet who called his fellow Jews to repent and prepare the way of the coming Messiah. And now, on the fourth Sunday, we go all the way back, back even further, to the beginning, to before Jesus is born. Now, in our other uh, the other two years of our three-year cycle of readings, on this fourth Sunday of Advent, we see Mary. We encounter Mary, hearing the message from the angel Gabriel that she will conceive and bear a son by the Holy Spirit, whose name is to be Jesus. But this year, we find ourselves not so much with Mary, but, but with Joseph, the almost, but not quite, father of Jesus. Joseph is humble, he is patient, and he is quiet. So quiet, in fact, that, that he does not utter a single word here or anywhere else in all of Scripture. He is described here as a righteous man, 
meaning that he observed Jewish law, or the Torah. And Joseph's religiosity might suggest that, like very many Jews of his time, he lived in hopeful expectation. He was very likely waiting on God to act in history. It's not at all improbable that he was waiting for the Messiah, God's anointed, the chosen one. Such hope and expectation was deeply rooted in history, in the record of God's saving deeds in history, of how God saved his people in ages past. So in this way, perhaps Joseph is is not all that different than us. Because as we've explored already in this Advent season, we also live in the time between looking back to God's actions and promises in the past and looking forward to their fulfillment in the future. Now, little does Joseph know that he is on a collision course with destiny, with the future. And it comes to him by way of a very difficult situation. At this point in the story, Joseph is engaged to a young woman named Mary. They do not yet live together. But despite this, Mary is found to be with child, and Joseph is not the father. Now, premarital pregnancy, especially when the groom-to-be was not the father, brought great dishonor to families of this culture. And it was certainly grounds for Joseph to dismiss Mary. In fact, ancient law even permitted death by stoning as punishment for such an offense. But we read that Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose Mary to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But of course, we know the story doesn't end there. When he had resolved to do this, an angel appears to him in a dream and says, Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived of her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So Joseph, instead of being angry with Mary, instead of abandoning her to face the heavy, perilous burden of being an unwed mother, and instead of dismissing his dream as mere wishful thinking, which may have been all too easy for him to do, Joseph instead takes Mary as his wife. Now, to keep Mary in his house would have been seen as a transgression of the law. And Joseph, as we have seen, was a law-abiding Jew. But his observance was founded upon something much deeper than superficial religiosity. Rather, his piety was rooted in faith, in hope, and in love. And so instead of following the letter of the law, Joseph conducted himself by a higher rule, that of love. And he trusted his dream. He trusted his inner experience of God, and he followed it. There is no mention of him seeking guidance or approval from religious authorities or experts. He had the courage and the faith to trust that his experience was true. 
He would share Mary's burden. They would carry it together. I think we can say that Joseph was a man who was profoundly ready, profoundly prepared for what he was waiting for. He was waiting in the words of our hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, for the sign that God is with us, for the day spring from on high, for the desire of nations to bind and one the hearts of all humankind, to bid our sad divisions cease, and to be our king of peace. He was waiting for this, but he had no idea what form it would take in his life. He had no idea that the one he waited for would become a child, a baby, committed to his care. He had no idea that that not only would he see and hear the Messiah, but that he would carry him, embrace him, nurture and protect him. Joseph was ready for what he awaited because he was oriented toward that which is yet to come. He lived in the faith that God is near, and he lived in the hope of what God would do for the world. And so he kept awake, he kept vigil, as Jesus called us to do back on the first Sunday of Advent. Joseph was ready to recognize and to act upon the signs of God's inbreaking into his life and into history, no matter how bewildering, inconvenient, or unexpected. And because of this, Joseph himself became a sign, a sign of God's goodness and mercy through his kindness and loving kindness shown to Mary. And because of his readiness, Joseph played a pivotal role in the salvation of the world. As Brandon said about John the Baptist, we can also say about Joseph, there would be no Jesus without him. And so I, now I ask all of you, what are you waiting for? What do you hope Christmas will bring? In this last week of Advent, when our expectant waiting is at its fullness, when all the Advent candles have been lit, may there be such a bright and burning vigil in our own hearts. May God give us the grace to be a little bit like Joseph, rooted in the story of what God has done, waiting in hope for that which is yet to come. And in the time between, ready to recognize and to act upon the signs of God's nearness to us in the here and now. May we share these signs and stories through which we make the kingdom of God credible to one another as Jessie said in her sermon last week. And through all this, may we ourselves become signs, signs of God's love for us and for all.